The text this morning comes out of Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And as you're turning, I want to read that scripture with you. And then I want to turn to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would do his work among us this morning. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was once called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men around them and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and this law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. God in heaven, we desperately need you to work in our lives. All the music this morning points to your glory being the central focus all that matters for all creation, for all eternity, past, present, and future, that's all that matters. As I read this text this week, Lord, I think that's exactly what Stephen was concerned about. Not his own life, not any other relationship, but the glory of God alone, despite all hurdles and trials that were facing him, even death. So we ask you now, Lord, to meet with us Show us what you have for us this morning. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you were with us last week, you will remember that at the close of the service, Pastor Robert invited many of the deacons out here in front. And then we prayed as a church family for them and for ourselves. We prayed and we asked the Lord to work in our lives, not just in the leadership, but in each and every one of us. Pastor Robert called us to have the spirit like Isaiah where it says, Here am I, Lord, send me. As we move on to the next paragraph in our series through the book of Acts, we are met with another event. It's about a deacon who took up that call to serve the Lord at all costs. It didn't matter to him what his title was. That's very clear. You don't see any struggle there whatsoever. The Lord called him, and he, Stephen, went full on for his calling for the glory of God. So as we move on to this next paragraph, we want to look at Stephen, how he's described. There's so many uh, instances where Luke, the author, uses a word called full. You think of a glass of water that's sitting on a table, and, you, and you, it's full to the brim. You know that somebody went too far, and now you're worried it's just going to go all over the place. Stephen's character qualities that are mentioned in this verse, I can't help but to see that 
the character qualities that that he has by the grace of God just spill out all over the place. It says that he's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. He was even doing great signs and wonders among the people. After Stephen presented rock-solid arguments against the identity of Christ and for the identity of Christ, Stephen's opponents are left defeated. They're frustrated. They're enraged because the religious system that they had built up for themselves was being chipped away at one rock at a time. Stephen's opponents were not able to hold their ground against him. And so they had absolutely zero counter-argumentation against Stephen. And the reason they are left speechless is what the Scriptures say in verse 10. It says, Stephen was speaking with wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. That's capital S, Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through him. These religious leaders had absolutely no other course of action but then to do exactly what they did to Jesus, to concoct a plan to get rid of him. They planned a series of lies against Stephen. They stacked the court, so to speak. They made a fake counsel. And these opponents were even prepared to kill him by picking up stones. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 15. But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who has asked you for a reason for the hope that lies in you. Here is Stephen. He's ready. He's ready to give an account of the hope that lies in him. He's ready to speak for Christ. In fact, perhaps the most astonishing verse in, this, in these seven or eight verses is how Stephen is described in verse 15. Look at that again. It says, all that were there were gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Now, the Greek word behind angel is the word angelos, which can actually be translated messenger. But if we were to translate the text, his face shone like the face of a messenger, you would think, well, that's no big deal. I have a messenger. He delivers my mail every day. It's very common. Messengers are a dime a dozen. But no, it's translated angel. It should leave us perplexed. How did that happen? How did his face become like that? Now, I believe Luke intended to leave us with an image of something incredibly rare, something beautiful, something strange, something even otherworldly. Here is a man whose face is like an angel. And Luke says there's something about Stephen's very face that is incredibly rare. So what in the world is Luke doing in this passage? What was it about Stephen's face that was so astonishing? What was it about his face that perhaps was enough to just write it down for the rest of us to know for all eternity? Think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Stephen's position and ask yourself if your face would shine this way. You had just been appointed a deacon. You were identified as someone who, without question, was gifted by God to serve the church in very specific ways. 
These gifts were meant to aid you as you serve the Lord. It's not about you. It's about God's glory, spreading the gospel. But again, the scriptures say that Stephen was full of grace and power, full of wisdom, spirit-filled, even had a good reputation. And to top it off, he was doing great signs and wonders. In other words, here is a godly man with a good reputation serving the Lord, and he's about to die. Now let me ask you a question. What was it about Stephen's countenance that was so rare? What was it about Stephen that made his face shine like an angel even in the face of his death? My answer is this, and we'll say it twice, okay? Stephen's face shone like the face of an angel because God's peace had met Stephen in his moment of greatest need. Stephen's face shone like the face of an angel because God's peace had met him in his moment of greatest need. God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding that Paul says. This really exists, church. Even in the face of death, you're one of the greatest enemies that we have that wants to instill fear in you. That when you take your final breath, that maybe I'm not going to go to heaven. Maybe I won't go to hell. Maybe everything's just, you just disappear. Maybe everything that I stake my hopes on is, is not real. In this moment, I think it was God's peace. And maybe even in this moment, the words of Jesus came to his ears, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe it was Psalm 23. Stephen, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Almost a hundred years ago, a theologian, I looked everywhere for this. You know, it's just so frustrating sometimes as someone who tries to study, prepare well. You look for a man's name and you can't find it. You just, he just gives you his initials. L.E. Brown. And he wrote, Stephen's face was not the mild, gentle look that is often seen in paintings of angels. It's not the fierce look of an avenging angel with a sword of fire but a look that told of the inspiration within. Clear eyes burning with inner light. We can hardly doubt that it was Saul who remembered Stephen's face the most. A look which burnt into Saul's very soul until he turned to accept Jesus as his master, as his savior, and learned in his own life experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. So our friend, our theologian, says it was likely something that happened within Stephen at that moment where God's grace, God's peace had convinced them that even if the worst thing were to happen after you preach this sermon, even if you were to die, I've got you. I'm going to hold you. Like Jacob on his deathbed, or like Joseph on his deathbed, or even David in Psalm 27, even if my mother and father were to forsake me, the Lord will take me in. The two people that are charged with taking care of me the most. Mom and dad go, you earn our income so I don't have to and I can just grow up and be in a home that has peace. Mom, you changed my diapers. <laughs> you took care of me. You rocked me at bed at night. David says, even if those people forsake me, the Lord will take me in. That's the kind of peace I think is coming into the fore for our brother Stephen. That's why his face shone that way. But you know, it's easy to have a sense of peace when there's no difficulties. That's real easy. 
when everything in life seems to be going according to your plan or mine. But what, what happens when the plan starts to unravel like a rope? We're just like Stephen. We need God to show up because life is hard. Real loved ones pass away. Real financial struggles happen. Trials of various kind, they come and go. And we need God's peace to show up. It'd be nice if we too could face our trials with the face of an angel knowing that God's got this. He's going to take care of me. Now, I want to give you a few points as to why Stephen had a face of an angel. Just a couple of things. It goes back in verse 8. Let's start it there. Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. The first thing we want to look at is that God's grace was powerful and active in God's life. Excuse me, Stephen's life. Now, the scriptures talk about two different types of grace. Of course, everyone's favorite aspect of grace is that moment when God convinced you that you were a sinner and that you did not have a relationship with the Lord. You were his enemy. You were weak. You could not save yourself. But here, the Lord is holding out for you the free gift of salvation and say, come, take. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that, that is beautiful grace that meets you exactly where you need it, at exactly the same time you need it. But there's a different kind of grace that happens for the believer after they're born again. The text says he's full of grace. That's that spiritual strength that God provides day by day to face the trials with his strength, with his energy. If it were left to us, we'd break under the pressure every single time. There would be no face of an angel for any one of us. The Apostle Paul's comments in Colossians 1, 28-29 clarify this point further. We proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How can you do that, Paul, week in and week out, even when you're persecuted, beaten, when your ship wrecks at sea? How can you keep going? Paul says, I toil, I work, struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than everybody. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The glory goes to God when he carries you to fulfill the, the calling that he has on your life. He's the one working in and through you at every waking moment. And when he gets you there and and the task is accomplished, you look back and say, God did that. God did that. That's what makes a face shine like the face of an angel. What led Stephen's face to shine like an angel? Grace. In the moment shortly before he was martyred, part of the answer is that grace strengthened him. Let us plead for God's grace to uphold us, church. 
Through the series of Acts, that's what we're asking for. We want to be an empowered church. Let it start with grace. Let it start with salvation through grace, faith and grace alone. And let grace lead us every day. It was the grace of God that prevented Stephen in this moment from cursing God. Just like Job's wife, curse God and die, Job. Is this what I signed up for, God? Can you imagine the questions that could have been written down, but by God's grace was not? All these gifts that you gave me, Lord, all snuffed out in a moment. I thought the gospel was powerful. Why are these people not being saved too? These people were about to kill me. I guess I'll just recant. It was the grace of God that upheld him in that moment to accomplish the calling on his life. One of the early church fathers, he's got a funny name. His name's Polycarp. Actually, church history says that Polycarp was actually one of John the Apostle's disciples, somebody that learned underneath him. Polycarp also was martyred for the faith. And just before he was murdered, he says, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. How did that happen? How do you get to the point where you know you're going to die and you say, it doesn't faze me one bit? It has to be the grace of God working powerfully through us. Our simple prayer might be, God, work your grace in my life no matter what. Whatever your will is for me, give me the grace, Lord, to walk that path. No matter how my kids turn out, give me grace to respond to them, to respond to the world. As people ask me, maybe even you feel the eyes on you, that what's wrong with Chase that this happened? It's like, no. God, give me grace to respond sweetly. No matter if I'm riddled with cancer, God, give me grace to respond. Maybe even use this as opportunity to show the gospel to someone. No matter if I lose my closest friend, or loved one. God, your grace is sufficient for me. Cause my face to shine powerfully, not because I want to look beautiful or great, but because I want Jesus' glory to shine through me. Cause my face to shine so that you get the glory no matter what. I love Ephesians three times. Out of all that doctrine in the first three chapters and out of all the practical application of that doctrine, there are three statements. They all sound the same. They're exactly the same. Whether it's in the life of the church or salvation or things that God does in me, three statements rise to the surface to the praise of God's glorious grace. No one, absolutely no one asks you, what's the best part of Mount Everest? Everybody's got the same answer. It's the top. To the praise of his glorious grace, that's the top. There's no higher thing that you can ask God to do in your life that at whatever trial comes your way, martyrdom, sickness, cancer, whatever, you could say it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. That is the Mount Everest that we should all ask God to work in our lives for. No one asks what the best part of Mount Everest is. If somebody asks you what the best part of the Bible is, you say, God's grace saved me, and God's grace will carry me. That's the best part of the Bible. Second, not only was God, uh, excuse me, Stephen full of grace, he was full of faith. 
And we have to go back to verse 5 and look at this to find that phrase. Verse 5, when they were picking out deacons and asking the Lord, who's the right man for the job, they say, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Now, this is one of those qualities that the church leaders in Acts said was absolutely essential. Can you imagine having a church leader that had no faith? (laughs) No, thank you. Faith is another term that we have to be careful for because people want to distort it, make it out to be a one-and-done situation where you get saved and you just kind of live your life however you want. That's not at all how faith works. The first kind of faith is the one that pertains to saving faith. You put your faith and trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. This means you stake your hope of salvation on all of Christ's work, his life, his death, his burial, resurrection, even his intercession for you. And all that's another sermon, all those. You, you turn your back on all the works that you might compile, and you just say, none of this can get me into heaven. They're all dead. They're all lifeless. They're worthless. In the end, if I brought this to God's court, all my works, I would be convicted, absolutely convicted of my crimes. But again, that's not what Luke is sharing with us about Stephen. It says he's full of faith. And for this statement, we must use a different meaning. He's full to the brim with believing. That's the word I want you to take home with in verse 5 of chapter 6. He's full of believing. Now, how do you get to that point? How do you wake up and say, God, no matter what, I believe what you say is true. As hard as it may seem, I want to wake up tomorrow morning and just believe your word is true. Fill me to the brim with believing. The context of the scripture, the sermon itself, I mean, think about it. He could have... Stephen could have crafted his sermon in any way that he wanted. When fear comes and you think your life is on the line, maybe you'll change the sermon. Sometimes I feel like that. Maybe, you know, I'm getting nervous. Maybe I should change some things. No, but he stuck to the text that God gave him. For the next 40 or some odd verses, he talks about Abraham, Moses, Joseph, quite a bit of Israel's history. He said, I believe all of that about us. I believe all of this about you. As hard as it is to hear this sermon, and as hard as it might be for you to take this medicine that that shows you guys exactly what you look like, I'm still going to preach it. That's what he said. And it cost him his life. If you bump this glass of water, faith spills out. He's full of faith. If you bump Stephen, he's going to say words that make you lead you to believe that, boy, he believes. God's worked in his life to the point where he believes, and he can't be shaken. Galatians 2.20 is very helpful in this. He says, I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live a life of believing in the Son of God, that he loves me, he gave himself for me, 
Who can touch me if God has me? That's all Romans 8. Who could separate me from the love of Christ? Faith says, I believe what he says is true, and I'm going to live my life accordingly. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We give love. Oh, it's, it's, it's all about love in, in chapter 13, but don't let those two first words go, go. Don't let your eyes go fast past that. It says in verse 13, so faith, hope, love abide. Yes, love abides, but so does faith. God's going to work that in you. Ask him to work that in you. Sometimes it does seem like life is just throwing everything it can at you. Ask the Lord, could you just make my faith abide, please? If it's not for you, I'd walk away. Anybody would with all the trials that I've faced. Some people might say that. But if my faith is to abide, if I'm going to wake up tomorrow a Christian, if I wake up tomorrow and I decide, you know what the best course of action for me is just to deconstruct, just give up on all of it, turn my back on it. The only, the only person that's going to keep you from doing that is God's grace working in your life to believe again when you wake up. I see my brother and sister over here, and it just reminded me of something that was said in Sunday school class. There is such a thing as the Monday scaries, <laughs> where you're like, oh, Monday again, another week of work. What's going to keep you from turning your back on the Lord tomorrow morning and saying, i got to do it all in my strength. I'll see you on Sunday. It's God's grace powerfully working in you to keep on believing. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Living by faith is the everyday activity of God's people. Living by faith is the everyday activity of God's people. Remember Pastor Andrew's series on the saints of God found in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11? Faith is that believing when you don't really see the picture clearly. Faith in believing says, the odds are stacked up against me, but God's with me. Let's face this together. Faith says, even if my friends, my wife, my children, my co-workers, or anyone else for that matter says ill things about my Jesus, or even tells me to stop talking about Jesus, even if they curse Jesus in front of me, if they hate me because of Jesus, faith in believing says, no, I will not be moved. I will keep on believing even when nobody else will. And it's all of God's grace, serving God at all costs. Stephen, what an example. He was full of faith despite all odds, despite death staring him square in the face, despite the devil likely whispering in his ear, just give up, just recant, just walk away, quit, Stephen. It's not worth it. We're never told of Stephen's family, but can you imagine the devil saying, you're never going to see your wife again. You're never going to see your kids again. Give up. It's not worth it. And Stephen said, no. My Savior is everything. And those people that wanted to kill him just couldn't believe that what they were seeing, such peace written all over his face, all over Stephen's face. Family, church family, will you today ask God to grow your faith, to believe that despite all evidences to the contrary, God is doing something amazing in your life. The picture is not completely clear Oftentimes it's not, but will you ask the Lord, help me to tomorrow put one foot in front of the other and believe that you're doing something 
beautiful. God is working out something very incredible. And it's for his glory and for our good. We must simply ask God when the time comes when my faith is tested, oh God, by your grace, help me to keep believing. Turn my mustard seed of faith into an oak. Make it big, Lord. All for your glory. So number one, he was full of grace. Number two, he was full of faith. Number three, and boy, do I need this more than just about anything I can think of right now. I want wisdom. Stephen was full of wisdom. That doesn't happen by accident, people. You don't just wake up one day and realize, oh, I've got lots of wisdom. I know how to apply all of God's truth to life in a given moment. No, it's not an accident. That takes time. You don't bump the glass of water and all the wisdom just starts coming out. Sometimes a lot of other things come out, and it's just very embarrassing. We have to ask people for forgiveness. In verse 5, we are told Stephen was selected because he was full of wisdom. And it's obvious from Acts chapter 7 that Stephen knew the Old Testament inside and out. The full content of his sermon was Old Testament. It wasn't worldly wisdom. Can we say that knowledge alone is not very helpful? Think about all the universities across the country. There's a lot of university professors. they got all the degrees hanging on the wall. They're, they've reached tenure. They, they, they speak to hundreds of kids week in and week out, but they're idiots. <laughs> they're just dumb. And why are they stupid? And why do we pray for them? Because they're not speaking from a Christ-like perspective. They're trying their best to live life and to teach kids to live life without Jesus. And that's foolishness. It's foolish to try to show up or preach a sermon, or counsel someone, or have friendships if you're not going to talk about the Lord. That's the main thing. Stephen was full of wisdom. He says all this knowledge is simply to show forth the goodness, greatness, and glory of God. All this knowledge, this is not a textbook. This is a wake-up book. That You can live your whole life knowing a lot of stuff in the what you think is a textbook and realize you don't even know Jesus. Don't even know Jesus. There are people that think they know Jesus. They think they're doing great things. And then Jesus says, at the end of time, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they thought their knowledge was enough. They didn't know Christ. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Oh, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of what? Wisdom. Here we have another prerequisite to facing adversity with peace. Another piece of the puzzle. As to answering the question, how did Stephen's face shine like an angel? Full of grace. Full of believing. Full of wisdom. Not because he was learned or went to the best seminaries that money had to offer, but because he spent time in God's word. Asking the Lord, some of this doesn't make sense. I can't, it's hard for me to believe, but convince me, Lord. How do you get to a point like Psalm 63.3 where it says, your loyal love is better than life? That's where Stephen was. I, you know what's better than life? God's loyal love, his character, my relationship with him. I can lose my, my life 
but the steadfast love of the Lord is forever. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Christ is my treasure. Christ is my king. Christ has purchased me with his blood. Godly wisdom looks so different than the world's wisdom. That's wisdom. Lord, you're better than life. If I lose my life, I have you. Paul says, I, I desire to be with Jesus. To, to depart and be with him is much greater than being here. But God, I know I have a job to do here. That can wait, but it is better. It's okay to say so. It's better than life. It's okay. That is wisdom. Daniel 12, verse 3 says, The wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those that turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Stephen chose wisdom over worldly conventions or advice. Is it likely that he had Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 in his mind? Lord, use me to turn many to righteousness. That's all that matters. And then suddenly, inexplicably, the peace comes and his face was all that they could focus on the face of someone who is completely at peace. Take heart, my friends. Your perseverance is holding forth God's wisdom. People don't understand. They see you. They don't understand. How can that person keep going? All the things that they have gone through. Your perseverance is holding forth God's wisdom as a treasure. It's not overlooked. Living wisely according to God's view of yourself is not a waste. Living your life according to God's view of the world is not a waste. Living life in view of how God describes himself is not a waste. That's wisdom. Part of what made Stephen's face shine like an angel in his deepest possible need and pain was that wisdom was one of his greatest friends. That though, just like Job that though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Is your mind divided over this? Are you like what James says? You're a double-minded man. You're unstable in all your ways. Do you pick and choose parts of God's word? Do you pick and choose the parts like, here's the parts I like and here's the parts I don't like? James says in his letter, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The world says quit when it gets tough. Jesus says, The wise will look to me for grace, for faith in believing, and for answers. Wisdom puts a high view on God's words. If you look at Stephen's sermon, it's full of Scripture steeped in the history of God's people, saturated in God's sovereign care for Israel, and unfortunately, the hard truth, that sermon, that sermon also contained words that convicted them, words that made them angry. Conventional wisdom says, preach the things that people like, that make them feel good about themselves, that makes them possibly want to come back next Sunday. Wisdom says, preach the whole counsel of God. 
let the word of God stand. And if God's man, woman, or servant, child, whoever, that person fall, and they lose their life for the gospel, God gets the glory. Let persecution come. Are you ready to move on to anything else but God's word? That's a problem. And finally, Stephen was full of the Spirit. Here we might conclude that Luke is describing the fruit of the Spirit, namely fruit acceptable to God. Stephen exhibited many gifts for sure, but his life was characterized by fruits that are common to all believers. This is not just about Stephen. This is about you and me. Look at the fruit that God is producing in your life. Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is it like Paul goes on to say that the wicked fruit looks like sexual immorality, anger, envy, strife, hatred? Stephen was full of the Spirit, and it produced fruit for the sake of the gospel in in God's kingdom. Stephen was also empowered to preach the gospel powerfully, openly, without reserve. He placed a high value on God's grace, faith, fruits of the Spirit, and wisdom, the things that God values. He said, Lord, give me, give me that. Not because I want to be people to look at me and say, oh, what a great person, but I want them to see how great God is. None of this matters if we don't have the Spirit of God. That's the final observation. John 3.16 and following, one of the statements in that section that's incredibly important that Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again of the Spirit. God must open your eyes to your need of salvation. How many people are trying to live a godly life, serve Christ, and they don't even know Christ as their Savior? Think about this. Stephen's sermon and Stephen's life, his fi- the final event was even meant to point us to someone else who experienced the self-same things. Stephen is a reminder of Jesus Christ who made it possible for you to accept Christ as Savior. Jesus knew what it was like to have his brothers turn on him. Jesus knew what it was like to be mocked for the message that the Father gave him. Jesus knew what it was like to face death square in the face. Jesus experienced a cruel death, much like Stephen. Much more so a death on the cross that was slow and painful, not likely like Stephen, a stoning that was quick. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For your sake and my sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Stephen's death is a reminder of Jesus' death on our behalf. It is a reminder that God's grace can carry God's people to the very end for God's glory. It's a reminder that we can indeed, by the power of God, take up our cross and follow him to the ends of the earth for the glory of God alone. Why did Stephen's face shine like an angel? It was God's grace working through him. It was God's faith leading him to believe. It was God's wisdom informing him of what is real, what is true. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered him, not only opened his eyes when he was born again, but empowered him 
to serve the Lord even at the cost of his own life. That is why his face shone like an angel. The Apostle Peter asked the question in chapter 3 of verse 13 of his first letter. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The question is, who can touch you if God is behind you and for you? Romans 8 says, God is for you, friends. It's okay to say so. If he has rescued you by your grace, he will accomplish your journey to the very end, no matter what it looks like, for his glory. And I can't help but to think that one thing has actually happened in heaven that kind of blows my mind. You've got Saul, who in chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 8, that said, Saul approved of the murder of Stephen. You have Saul, who is now Paul, in heaven, worshiping God forever. And right by his side, Stephen worshiping God at the throne forever and ever. If that doesn't blow your mind or that doesn't wake you up and realize that all the offenses that I could do to someone or all the offenses that I can hold out and just dwell on and, well, they didn't do X, Y, and Z and I'm just bitter, let that destroy your bitterness. That Saul and Stephen worship God together. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? God is everything that's good. Let's pray. God, when I, I pray that when people heard this sermon, they, they don't hear work harder. They don't hear try harder. They don't hear do more for God. When I look at this text of Scripture, my prayer is that, God, you would work in our lives more. Don't leave us where we're at. Work your grace through us, the strength that we need to face Monday. Cause us to believe afresh that what you say is true. Help us to put a high priority on wisdom, the word of God as it applies to life. And Holy Spirit, we know that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are a guarantee that, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, you are a guarantee that One day, Jesus is coming back for us. It's a down payment. And Jesus, we are so thankful that none of this would be possible if you had not also obeyed the Father, went to the cross, and despised the shame, endured it on our behalf. Our sins were nailed to the cross and defeated forever. None of this would be possible, Jesus, if you had not given us an example of what it is to obey the Father, even despite deep pain. One day, Father, we will open up our eyes in heaven and we will sing with all the saints in glory, with Stephen, with Paul the Apostle, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God forever be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus, that you rescued us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.